everyone. I'm Trisha Bell. Hi, I'm Georgie Young. And welcome to CTE Talk, a podcast where we talk all about CTE, concussion culture and sport, and life as a family member. Every Monday, we will be joined by guests to shed light on the neurological disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Join us on our mission to raise awareness and educate others. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CTE Talk. We hope you're enjoying all of the episodes that have aired so far. Today, we are joined by the lovely Jason Mocha, who is going to be sharing his experience with CTE through his brother, Shannon Mocha. Jason, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Uh, Sure. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, So Jason Mocha, um, I'm the younger brother of Shannon Mocha, who died a year before last, uh, April 24th of of um 21 and um let's see what can i tell you about me i'm a a father of three um and um i grew up in kansas city on the same house on the same street my whole life with my brother we had like a a storybook kind of upbringing if you will and uh, i went into the military at 18 which moved me away and i came up to the great pacific northwest and uh, kind of finished my four years of the Air Force and then got into the field of telecom and and I've never really left it. And um, I still live out here in Southwest Washington with my family, my wife, Dana. And um, and it's, um, you know, a quiet life up this way. This is also the area in which I'm sure I'll get the opportunity to talk about caregiving for my brother, Shannon. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to be on the show. And, and this is important to me. It was very important to my brother to share his story. And I'm thankful that we're doing this a year and a half, almost two years actually after his death, because I can talk about it without sobbing and finding too much sadness to be able to tell his story properly. So thank you to both of you for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here. Welcome. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. And I've had the pleasure of speaking to Jason a couple of times, so I understand how amazing his story is, and I'm excited for everyone to listen to that shortly. Jason, would you like to kind of take us back to when Shannon first started showing symptoms of CTE um, and kind of the initial start of everything? Yeah, first I'd say that uh, as time passes, the recollection of that question seems to... Uh, either become more in focus or, or change slightly, you know, because now that we've gone through the process of testing his brain and confirming that he had CTE, now I start to think of all his stories that he told me that at one point in time just felt like his own, um, you know, uh, dreamland. And, and the way that he described things, now, now it's, it's a, a different way to answer that question. Uh, there's something specifically when he moved in with me um, that certainly I would talk about. But I, I want to start with, you know, I mentioned that we had this storybook upbringing and, and sports was a major, major part of that. Um, my my mom and my father took us everywhere for baseball, football, soccer, you name it, we played it. And my brother was, um, you know, really kind of my idol with sports. There was a time in our, uh, we had some really great friends, the alls that lived next door. Uh, 
and there was lots of um, playing backyard football. And we were playing football and my brother dove. I mean, I think at this age, he's probably maybe a young teenager, if not even younger. And he dove for a ball and you know those little utility boxes that they're in the back of homes that have those sharp edges. He actually dove and hit his head and mm -hmm. right above his eye right here into that little utility box. And it was, it was serious uh, to the point where we had to, you know, rush to the emergency room. And that scar was there till the day he died. And, it, you know, now I see that situation very differently uh, than I have really kind of all the way up to the point where he moved in with me. And there was little things like that that um, happened. He had a car accident where he would talk about putting his head through the windshield. I don't really remember that or, or the severity of that. Um, but when I left home to go to the military, my brother was like keen to me. Like he, he was a giant. And then I left and when I built my own life and 20 years later, my brother is kind of knocking on my doorstep figuratively uh, because he's lost his job, he's lost his family. Uh, he's uh, an alcoholic, been through rehab several times. He was popping pills. He was, um, you know, in, in terrible shape. He had five kids, five kids. And um, so when he showed up on my doorstep, it, we were a little estranged from each other. You know, I still had my brother on a pedestal. And then now he was kind of almost broken down a little bit. So I, I'd say that that was now looking back the first time. And then at that time, Georgia, when I invited him into my home to kind of caretake for him, I thought it was get him back up on his feet and move him on. That that wasn't the case, obviously. Um, and there was so many different doctors that we saw. Oh my gosh, the, the hundreds of doctors, hundreds of therapy appointments. I um, so to answer that question, you know, I have to come back to one particular instance, which. In the grand scheme of things, doesn't sound like a, a huge deal, but it was the day that it clicked for me because he had been studying CTE as all CTE survivors do, is obsess about the disease. He had been studying it for quite a few years and one of the doctors had mentioned CTE to him. And, and at that point it was kind of a dog with a bone. I, he, he just wouldn't give up on it. Uh, I was coming down one morning and into the kitchen, my brother and I lived in this house together and I kind of peeked around the corner because I wondered what he was doing. I heard him wrestling or something in the in the pantry and he was sitting in this, like at, with the pantry door is open and he's just at this staring into the pantry. And I just, I wondered like how long he would do it. And I, so I timed him and it was like 13 minutes that he was just staring still staring into the pantry and I'm like hey you know what are you what are you doing um do you need some help and he's just kind of like I don't know I don't know what I'm doing I don't know why I'm here I don't know what I'm looking for I don't know what I want and it was just that time that it just made me think gosh maybe he really does have something wrong with his brain uh and that was following like I said so many doctor's appointments and finally gotten to the point where one doctor had mentioned it to him. And it was sh shortly after that, 
that I started to eventually go, oh, okay, maybe, maybe something really is wrong. Mm. Yeah, interesting and terrible at the same time. About what age was this that um, you started having to assist with your brother? Yeah, that was, uh, let's see, he, he died at 49 and he was with me for six years. And then I moved him back into South Dakota for a couple of years, about 40, 41, but wow. uh, just, just after 40. And it Very was- Very similar to a lot of oh, the really? others. Oh yeah, I think a lot of, the, a lot of them starting there. Some yeah, start in their twenties, but a lot of the symptoms manifest, it seems in the early forties where people start to notice. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Shannon would have told us if he was here that it, uh, he's had it his whole life. That's, that's how he would describe it. But nobody really saw it until, to your point, really kind of in, the, in his 40s. And, it, and I actually think that there's some correlation between PTSD events and, and, your, and the age of your CTE, when those collide uh, and there is something that gets you in that dire downward spiral, there's just something that happens that just keeps dragging a person with CTE down at that point. Uh, and when Shannon lost his job, lost his family, got divorced, lost his kids, you know, became uh, alcohol dependent and rehabs and, and you know, so, so many other stories, um, you know, that just started this really obvious time period where there was something wrong, clearly something wrong. He would tell you something was wrong. In fact, he would tell you every day. And then he would say, I've been telling you this for years. <laughs> uh, when you would try to agree or when you would try to find ways to relate to something, then he would instantly kind of get combative with, I've been telling you this forever. Why are you not fixing me? And, you know, that was, you know, for the younger brother that truthfully really kind of became the older brother in this scenario. And then later on this father figure uh, while our dad had passed, you know, 23 years ago now, it was, it was, um, it was very emotionally draining, very hard to deal with. Um, I'm proud of the fact that I gave him more time in his life, that I helped him true, you know, true up on, on whether or not he had CTE or not. You know, that was, that was probably one of the greatest things, Trisha, that my brother's ever done was proving he had CTE because it was such a big deal to him. And, you know, truth be told, I, had always kind of been a fixer for my brother whether it was younger in life or even in this time period I'm talking about caring for him I'd always kind of been this fixer and so I can confidently tell you that that I didn't do this for Shannon I made a call to Chris Nowinski and you know hallelujah that that man answered his phone I still am so grateful but I didn't do anything but make that call. And then all of the work that comes with um, showing background, showing clinical evidence, showing, you know, getting doctor's information and all, all, all the things afterwards, I certainly did. But those relationships of, 
of trying to peel back the onion on what CTE is and who who might be able to help me and what's available to me. That that was all Shannon. Uh, Shannon at one point in time had brought paperwork to donate his brain to Boston University. And at the time, I hadn't fully committed to CTE yet. And so I'm like, you're crazy. This is, this is crazy. Uh, and so he had kind of gone through the process of, of meeting Chris. In fact, when I called Chris the day he died and asked for help, uh, Chris knew exactly who my brother was and exactly who Shannon was. I love it. I love that he was and calling people and just, wow. He, he is his own advocate. Like he made this happen, not me. I know you're, you're carrying it on. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't know the whole story. So I'm, I'm just picking it up as we're talking. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. And, and Chris was like, oh, I, he used to call me. He used to, he used to send me messages and LinkedIn or otherwise. Like Shannon would reach out to a lot of professional athletes and try to help them convince them, convince himself maybe even that CT is real. Right. Uh, and, and so he really did open up all these doors. And and um, that's how I ended up finding out about uh, Chris. I, I had never actually talked to Chris on the phone beforehand. I don't think anyways. Um, when I had sent him a message and he called me within 15 minutes. And he's like, right. I know who your brother. And I, I, I just you remember, like, I just found out my brother died like a half an hour ago and it was the first thing I did. So the, how to get Shannon's brain from South Dakota to Boston in the condition that it needed to be in was, was not a little bit of work. It was a, it was a lot of work while I'm trying to, I'm in shock, you know, and, and, Chris and the team just, they just made it happen. I was so grateful, man, you know, especially with Shannon not being a professional athlete, like. So you, you had the little, you must have had the little card or something to call Boston University upon Shannon's death. You must have talked about it with him. I, I did have, I uncovered all the paperwork. Oh yeah. Uh, within okay. the first few minutes. And then I realized through Shannon's LinkedIn connections that he and he had talked about Chris Nowinski. I just hadn't talked to, uh, right, right, to right. him directly, and so I I linked in with Chris Nowinski and I sent him an an email and LinkedIn, and that's what kicked this all off. Oh yeah, you said that. Yeah, okay. That's just amazing that your brother reached out to all those people. Because what if he hadn't? What if he hadn't reached out to Chris? Chris would have been like, well, I I, I don't know who, who your brother is, and they may, you know they might not have taken it. Yeah, that. That is, I've thought about that many times. And I think yeah. that's why I say I'm so proud of him because, um, you know, really it was all his own research that he did. If to think through what would have been his Shannon's legacy had he not done that homework, had he not tried to make these relationships, um, he would have died kind of mm -hmm. as, um, you know, somebody that failed in life and and now as you guys saw i brought my nephew to the huddle mm -hmm. shannon's oldest son and 
they had a very estranged relationship. And to this day, the family is still wrestling with the fact that their father did have CTE. But now there is a ramp or a pathway to understanding why he did what he did and who he was and what he suffered from. And, and versus my dad was a failure. My dad uh, abandoned us. Um, so I, I hope that those, those kids can continue to kind of peel back their own emotions with what happened and and it really is because of shannon's research that made this cte diagnosis become available and gosh the 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 amount of people in shannon's life my life that have all then reached out to say hey i have somebody that i want to talk to you about i've had numerous people reach out say hey my son or my daughter and my husband, there's something wrong, and and I heard this or I read this from you, and and I can I ask you a question? You know, th those are the caretakers that are starting to kind of follow the breadcrumbs and realize, okay, there is, there is something to this. How do I get him help, or how do I get her help? Uh, right. And that's that's been um, none of that would be available that experience the the passing on the knowledge to paint a whole different brushstroke across shannon's life of positivity and 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 vengeance and and validation uh and forgiveness would not be there yeah. had he not done that research and it's to this day it's it's the thing i'm probably most proud of him for was never giving up on something that now will live on well as long as as we do things like this i think and so that's kind of become my personal mission is sharing his story and talking about it and not being afraid of the topic uh getting involved in the community um and, and so i'm thankful for that even in a grim situation like this that's a great story I think it's nice yeah. to be able to not be on the other side of it, but kind of step away and reflect differently on a situation. How many months, years later um, from when it occurred. And I think it's great that you have this positive outlook and you are doing so much sharing Shannon's story. Um, it's going to help so many other people. And that's the aim of kind of Trisha and I's aim here with this podcast is, is to be able to get people to listen to the truth and listen to the, the, the honest stories because that's what people are going to learn from. Um, I just wanted to quickly go back to when you said how, obviously you're the younger brother, but you had to step up and almost become the older brother and then the dad a bit later on. And I just wondered how that role reversal is for you because that is such a big thing with CTE. Role reversals happen so much where, I don't know, the parent becomes the child um, and in your situation, you became the older brother. So I just wondered how that was for you and how easy or hard you found that to adjust to. Well, for me, it was, it was, um, I fought it. I fought it because it was almost acceptance uh, that there was a problem. And I was the caretaker that was like, no, rub some dirt on it. Pick yourself up, you know, like, um, do something about it. Now what? That's what I always used to say to him. Now what? Okay, yes, I agree. 
you have these symptoms. Everything you've shown me is real. Now what? Now what do we do? And and so I fought it. I fought it um, with all my might, in fact. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, I didn't want to see my brother fail. Because um, he was this giant, you know. Um, but also because I was still mourning the loss of my own father. You know, I my dad died at 55 years old. And uh, now Shannon at 49. And here I am at 48, which, trust me, that's a mind bender uh, to deal with. Um, so I, I, it was incredibly hard. And, and I think if I could go back now, I would have tried to, um, you know, embrace it a little bit more, maybe just not been so hard. I would have worked on my own endurance and resilience through that. Um, and, and I didn't, you know, I kind of gave everything I had to either my job or my brother. And it was, those were the only, you know, things that were dominating my life, if you will, more than my kids which it just became to a point actually Georgia where I just couldn't do it anymore you know six years is a long time and throughout that six years Shannon was very vocal about sharing his story online like this is why I do what I do with this is because he was so vocal he was incredibly vulnerable about the things he felt the things he would say uh, which were sometimes pretty crazy um you know so i the the transition to the father role was was the breaking point for me and frankly i think that's what made me finally get to the point of kind of giving up i hate to even say that because i've always preached to my kids and anybody who will listen to never give up that poem the race if you've ever read it is an incredible poem it's a poem that i read at my dad's funeral and it's all about like this father-son relationship and just never give up, like pick yourself up and win the race. It's not about being number one, it's about finishing. And so I, I, I didn't wanna give up, but on the same token, I couldn't live my own life. Like I felt like I was at a crossroads of, I have to either choose to forever be the caretaker of my brother, which means I may not have love in my life again I may not have relationships I'm I may not um someday if I wanted to move because my kids graduated college got a job in in LA or something and I wanted to move and go be by them I couldn't do that um it, it just got to the point where I I felt like I was choosing between me or him and that's terrible terrible to say terrible to feel um but I, you know, I chose to make change. And that was, that was me not giving up as much as is like almost shifting the problem or trying to find a way to have a little bit of a, a break. You know, I always kind of knew when I shipped my brother to go live with my mom and my sister, you know, truth be told, my, my sister's a nurse. She's a, a professional. <laughs> caretaker and you know i was an executive in a, tele a telecom company that's trying to like figure out how to run companies and take care of my brother at the same time and the, those worlds were just colliding every day um so when i when i moved him back to south dakota to live with my 
my mom and my sister, I think that's when it, he was pushing me too close to the father role. Um, and I just wasn't ready to deal with that. Do you, if you don't mind me asking, and if it's, you know, if you don't want to answer, that's understandable. But what kind of caretaking were you having to do for Shannon in those yeah. six years? Yeah, no, I, first of all, no holds bar with me. I'll tell you everything. Um, mainly because that's what Shannon would do. Uh, he probably would throw a, a few F-bombs out there and uh, mention some things he probably shouldn't. <laughs> um, but uh, caretaking really in the beginning was three years living with me. And uh, the first year was breathalyzing him every morning and every evening. Uh, and you know, having to dig through his room and do inspections and look for bottles of vodka. Um, it was an everyday um, reminding him of the, all of the very typical executive functioning that people do. Brush your teeth, take a shower, eat, um, socialize, get some exercise, um, be positive. Uh, it, it really... The first three years was, the first year, Trisha, was I have my brother back. I have, uh, you know, I can I can right the wrongs of the past. You know, I left and I had no relationship and now you're here. My brother's here. Like, let's go to football games. Let's go to concerts. Let's go play golf together. And in the beginning, it was, you know, the first month was really kind of cool in a way. Uh, and I, now looking back, I think I did a lot of that for me just as much as I did it for, for a place for him to land. Uh, and then about a month in or not too long in something happened and it, it, it was like a jolt of, of, oh, oh this is not going to be fun. And I had walked in the house, my daughter and my, my daughter at the time, maybe 16-ish, 15-ish. Um, and, and Shannon were talking and he, he was talking about alcoholism and he grabbed a bottle of vodka and he poured a, a whole coffee cup full. And he, and he looks at me and looks at my daughter and says, do you, do you want to know what alcoholism looks like? And he downs this entire thing of vodka and I'm and I'm sitting there going I don't know where this is going and it just pours another one oh. and does it again and so then I'm like is why don't you go and you know trying to get her to move on and within a half an hour he's just he's absolutely belligerent and he's starting to pick a fight with me and and I'm like I am so confused on what how we even got here and this fight got to the point where I had to like manhandle him, take him to the ground, wrestle him to the ground, like <sighs> push him down and eventually call 911 because he wanted to brawl. And so he ends up in a 72 hour hold and I come in one of the mornings, I can't remember which day. And I just looked at him, I'm like, don't you ever, don't you can't you can't ever do that again and that's when the breathalyzing started every morning and every evening 
and because in the beginning like I, I thought this was gonna be fun i'm gonna get my brother back and we're gonna you know have some fun together and so um it just turned out not to be that so the caretaking in the home for the three years kind of started as like a fun little adventure in the beginning and then towards the end it was i'm gonna force change i'm gonna make you go somewhere else even if i have to pay for it um because i want to put you in a different i'm enabling at this point i'm enabling and you know i hadn't quite gotten to the point of accepting ct so when i talk about the things as a caretaker that I would pass on, one of those things is to embrace CT early, the possibilities of CT early, because it, it's important for your own psychological well-being. Um, you'll look at your loved one differently. Uh, you'll make decisions differently. So embrace the fact that that here I am telling you, my brother, not a professional athlete, only played high, you know, football as a, as a young child growing up through high school, never played college ball. Sure, he played the game aggressively and violently, but football is violent. I would tell you I played as much as he did. And, and he had CTE stage two, like for a fact now. So if it can happen to him, I'm of the opinion that I could be living with it right now. And I just have not had these PTSD events that trigger it. And it's this, you know, hole that you go down. Um, so kind of getting back to the caretaking, I, I was forcing change at three years. So I got him into an apartment about a mile and a half away or so. And um, you know, I still saw him at least two or three times a week. I still took him to all of his doctor's appointments because he didn't have a car. Um, now looking back, that was definitely uh, progressively harder, made it harder for my brother because then he, he was even more isolated. When he was in my house, it was at least he saw my daily life. He got to almost live uh, vicariously through me. And it was stimulating in a way, but when he, when I moved him on into his own apartment, even if it was right down the road and I saw him as often as I did, it, it just now all of a sudden the isolation became even more. Uh, and then that caretaking was kind of distant. Uh, like I said, take him to his appointments and, and see him every weekend or, um, you know, try to get him out and go and do things. But at that point he became so recluse that it was just weird. It was just so weird. Um, towards the end, Trisha, before I moved him uh, to South Dakota, it had gotten so bad that he thought his neighbor above him was tapping on the floor where he sleeps for 70 hours straight and was following him around the apartment and tapping above him and his cat knew it because his cat told him and he would want me to sneak into his apartment and video him so that I could prove that this guy was trying to intentionally aggravate him and keep him up. Mm -hmm. I have these videos to this day where I watch these videos and it's just like, oh my gosh, I mean, that guy is, he's like psychosis. I, he's just absolutely 
lost it, delusional. Um, but you couldn't, you couldn't reason, you couldn't talk with them, you couldn't. Again, for anybody listening, if there's even a shred of evidence, or you suspect that it might be CTE, reframe yourself. It doesn't mean don't put your own life first. It doesn't mean create the separation if you need to. It means forgiveness a little bit more. It means uh, a little bit more empathy or patience that don't be me where somewhat, you know, your loved one is, is gone and you're, and you're now going, man, I wish I would have handled those conversations different. I wish I would have tried to get him more help. I wish I wouldn't have made it about the money and him not having insurance, which I'd love to talk about a little bit when we have time. Uh, so the caretaking in the beginning, very intense, very much in my in my own space and constant, and then shifting him kind of down the road and doing it remote and things like that, which which had has created some guilt, but um, I, I think was reasonable for me to do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if I can ask another question. Yeah, please. Um, what you were talking about um, a lot of uh, doctor's appointments, like I'm assuming these are like neurologists. Yeah. And how long ago did you first start going to neurologists and, and did they even know about CTE yet? And when did your brother become aware of CTE? Yeah, great, great question. Great question. Um, 2013, May of 2013 is the doctor's appointment that we first learned of, of CTE. And he would have been in the home for about a year and a half. Okay. Or a year and a half into those three years. Um, and I'll tell you more about that specific doctor's appointment, but then I'll tell you a little bit about leading up to it and all the other doctor's appointments and address your other questions too. But Dr. Wynn was his name. Um, it was, you know, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think it was, you know, and dozens of appointments later, dozens of uh, having already seen a, a neurologist, couple of them probably even, um, a, uh, what do they call it? A, a psychiatric neurologist as well mm -hmm. that did, you know, all the, the, cognitive studies on him. But this appointment, uh, we really went in for kind of other reasons. And he, every time my brother would get in front of a doctor, he tells his story and he had it. That's the one thing he kind of had down pat was his story. He wrote it out one time too, and, and worked with somebody in the CT community uh, to do so, but told his story to this doctor. And this was the first doctor that said, have you ever heard of chronic traumatic epilepsy, CTE. And both of us were like, this was before the movie Concussion had come out, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And, but it was kind of on the precipice of it. Like it, it was starting to become into the market and it, both of us had not heard of it. Um, and, um, and that just started this crazy chase. Um, I'll never forget a conversation I had with Garrett Webster, Mike Webster's son, mm -hmm. which Shannon got in touch with, including Ben Amalu and, and others in the CTE community and um, including Chris Nowinski. And 
I had this conversation with Garrett and he was, he described CTE as the disease is chasing the disease and boy, now what? Uh, Almost 10 years later, I undoubtedly agree with that. It is chasing something wrong with you in a community of doctors at that time who had no idea really what CTE was. Um, Today we hear about concussions in the NFL and you have a concussion protocol now, which you didn't have then. You have had movies made about it, documentaries made about it. It's in the public. It's talked about. Back then it, it, it it really wasn't. And so every time we would talk to a doctor about something's wrong with my brain, that's what he would say. My brain is broken. It's just broken. He wanted shock therapy. He wanted like something is broken in my brain. Every neurologist would, you know, some of them would try to investigate a little bit. uh, And some of them, you know, tried to really help. And some of them really just, frankly, didn't really know or understand or really kind of just pushed him off as a crazy person, if you will. Shannon in the, in the beginning of living with me was on uh, Medicaid through the state. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was able to have limited um, healthcare. And then over the course of living with me and before I, uh, right around him, me moving him out. So year three, year four, uh, I was, we were successful in getting him on disability and disability then got him, which CTE is mentioned in his disability paperwork, which I think is fascinating mm-hmm. um, being that it wasn't even proven yet uh, later on was, but, um, and so through that disability process, he, he, he got on Medicare and I, I was a young kid. I still am. I would say, uh, and and really didn't understand the system. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never been in this position before. I've always had great healthcare insurance, and so to not be able to take him to all these appointments or to get him uh, hyperbaric chamber treatments or to, you know, fly and go see some specialists or. You know, those things were like hard decisions as a caretaker to make because you're, you're, you're realizing that <clears throat> I can't get him on my insurance and the procedures that he would need to get is very expensive. So like, and you, and I'm still trying to figure out, is this real? Is this not real? Like it's this invisible disease. And so, you know, now I, I wish I I don't know that it really would have helped Trisha if I would have gotten them all the best treatment in the world back then. It wouldn't have mattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, that's that's a little bit of of kind of what caretaking was like. It was it was right. it was the doctor win appointment when he heard that. Well, I should say that when Shannon first arrived on my doorstep, he thought he had autism, mm-hmm. uh, and he showed me this this video of a surfer um that had talked about some of the social anxiety and uh some of his challenges and those symptoms correlated with shannon so for the first year he thought he had autism and it was the appointment with dr win and hearing cte that you know then it was all over 
Um, especially as it was a unique time because the movie Concussion was coming out and, you know, Shannon was enamored with the fact, frankly, I was too, that, that he was able to get all these important celebrity like people on the phone and talk about his condition. And so when we had, he walked into my office one day and he's got, and he's, He's like, here, I got a bit of Amalo on the phone. And he wants to talk to you. Wow. I'm like, no, you don't. And he did. And, you know, I sat and talked to Bennett for an hour about Shannon and 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 others. Um, and this was like before the movie had come out. And mm-hmm. so it was this weird dichotomy of like kind of starstruck with this movie coming out and it meaning something to us because we had both had concussions. We had talked about concussions beforehand. And then all of a sudden, it just, the CT community, frankly, started to form. Uh, and I don't know if it was really just that movie or, or you know, the Mike Webster. It was a lot of, I think, a lot of different small factions of people starting to talk and share their stories and 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 frankly that made it um it kind of it brought a little light to the situation uh because there was more intel and information but it you know it was um un unreachable like the when at first even today i would tell you that the treatments for CTE or concussions is um, a lot more available for those people that are in professional sports. Mm-hmm. And and Shannon being a, a person that had completely hit rock bottom, I thought anyways, had no insurance. He had no treatments. Like there was really nothing that was available to us to... Mm-hmm to really even like be able to prove anything otherwise. Like I read an article at one point in time of a, a young woman that, um, that suspected they had CT and they didn't want to know. And I wrestle with that. Like, I think I would want to know. I, I would have wanted to know at least as the caretaker, because I know I would have treated him differently. Mm-hmm. I would have had a lot more empathy for him or sympathy and mm-hmm. I would have looked at it a little bit different. And so I, I would want to know. Uh, and I, I really hope we can get to that point someday where you can be tested and, and see if, if you have CT in the living. Because it really, I think it would change so many caretakers' perspective mm. on their situation. I really do. Mm-hmm. And did you find out of interest that, as we know, it is an invisible disease and I know things have come a long way since... 10 plus years ago but did you was there a stigma or did you perceive a stigma from other people say for example Shannon was acting differently one day and you're out in public did you ever have people tell you that there was nothing wrong with him and no one believed kind of what you were saying and what he was going through I just wondered how you kind of navigated through that it was constant constant because like I said, my brother growing up, not only was, um, you know, such a grandiose figure in my life, he was also, you know, the, you know, a popular kid that was 
very outgoing and and um you know kind of at the front of the pack with a lot of things and so when when your classmates when your friends when your family uh start to see drugs and alcohol as part of the mix that stigma becomes more about the addiction than it does any underlying problems and so it was shannon just having a mental breakdown it was just shannon being an alcoholic or a drug addict it was just shannon you know running away from his problems and being a, a crappy father mm. it was um you know shannon not being able to hold down a job or not figure out how to lessen his standards um for what he, he thought he was capable of doing for work mm. um it was roll up your sleeves and figure out how to you know dust yourself off and get up and, and get after it do something you know now what that's what i always came back to is now what sure mm. okay now what like you got to get back on your feet so I'm just as guilty as everybody else I just mentioned there, friends, family, and otherwise. Like, I think even still to this day, some people probably, well, I, I, I hope it, they don't, but I, you know, there was a lot of judgment, hmm. a lot of judgment. Um, invisible disease, it became part of my own, like, friends around here that, you know, saw me struggling with my own job because I'm having to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and go pick up my brother from downtown because he's hanging out with a bunch of homeless and he's completely drunk and and gonna get arrested if I don't hurry up and step in and I have a 7 a.m meeting that I need to drive mm. to Portland to and I'm stuck mm. trying to hurry up and you know save everybody and it, it, the stigma became part of around my life you know, my workmates then asking questions, my friends saying, hey, why are you doing this? Like, he's taking advantage of you. He just needs to, you know, he just needs to get back up on his feet. Like he's not trying. And it was constant, whether it was my own family, you know, my friends, like it was constant. It was, it, it was me. Yeah, I was starting to do that. Like, I, I think that, that, you know, no judgment now, obviously, because it is truly invisible. And if you think about that, um, and you have all these other stories and occasions that are crazy, you, you, I can see why anybody would have said he's just taking advantage. You know, you look at a, a homeless person and you might think you, you paint this picture, right? We're all biased in some way. And you paint this mm -hmm. picture of, of why they that's happened to them. Mm. But you don't consider the fact that there really is something medically wrong. Mm -hmm. I and, think people mistake the symptoms, don't they, for the cause, like the alcoholism and the drug addiction. People see that as being kind of externally the face value and that's the issue. Whereas, like you said, no one really delves deeper and realizes that's actually a symptom of what the main issue is and that they are struggling with CTE and it kind of expresses itself through drugs, through alcohol, through these addictions. And that's what people really need to realize that an invisible disease has so many different layers and we need to really kind of get to the core 
core of that and understand the core to understand like everything that everyone else sees um which i think is really important for for the listeners to take on absolutely good point georgia yeah there was a point too when shannon had finally really found something like cte and believed it and we were a year or two in he his drinking and all of that stuff went away and he would describe it as i don't need it anymore i know why now it and again i think more kind of of a use case or evidence that if people knew while they were living that they had cte they themselves as the patient would treat themselves differently because mm-hmm. the alcoholism and the narcotics use was because to numb mm. the why don't why why do I have this broken brain and once he finally resorted to CTE like he gave up on those things mm. uh, he stopped hiding bottles in his room he stopped drinking when he went out Uh, It got to the point later on, guys, before I I moved him back to South Dakota, where I would actually invite him to have a beer, you know, just, you know, a beer, Uh, football games on or which would be another great topic to talk about watching football while you have CT is pretty, Hmm. has to be really mind blowing. Um, But I'd give him a beer and uh, he'd, he'd, he'd lose it. (laughs) He'd go and he'd take a sip, he'd set it down, he'd walk away. I had, wow. he went he went from every day popping pills and drinking a pot of a pint of vodka to losing his one beer and forgetting where it was and not even caring about it um or not even remembering could be another way to look at that right um, so interesting to think through I've heard, I've heard other I've heard other similar stories Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the one thing about the CT community that I love so much. And that when I got the opportunity to go to the huddle, um, in a way, I guess, I don't know if I'd say it normalized, but I just didn't feel alone. Mm-hmm. I felt like everybody got it. All these stories, there's just so many of them that at the time I thought he was just crazy or I was being judgmental or I was angry at him or whatever, like, then you sit across the table and you talk to people that have had very similar experiences and they share it and you're like, wow, um, it wasn't just Shannon. Like this, this, there's, there's more to this. Mm-hmm. There's definitely more to this. And I just wish I would have done that earlier. So I would tell your listens to, listeners to investigate. Um, you know, when they bring something to you and they are on some manic moment of solving or cracking the case, invest in it. Give give them 15 minutes. Give them a half hour. Research it. Talk about it. Go to the doctor's appointments um, it, it, because they very well could have CTE. I, I, I do think that this is a lot more widespread than prefer- professional sports. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it's so nice that kind of you've shared a story, like you said, Jason, for someone who, because we, a lot of people associate CT with people who are 
NFL players or veterans. Mm. And I think it's really nice to hear a story of someone who kind of has a different perspective. Yeah, it's still so greatly affected by it. And I think, again, that's going to be a big part in kind of opening people's eyes and ears to how sparse CTE is and how many people it can affect. And it can affect so many different people in so many different ways. It is such a subjective disease. And and sharing your story like this is going to be a big part of people realising and understanding that. So I really thank you for being so honest and open um, with everything today. Yeah, yeah, you're very welcome. Thank, thank you very much for being here today. Yeah, we, you're very we welcome. Have, we have started this tradition. So at the end of each kind of episode, um, we're going to give a question from a previous guest, but you won't know who's asking it and it doesn't link up. So the person before you uh, is not directly their question. So the question today is, what is the biggest change you've noticed in yourself through this situation? Uh, the definition of resiliency. Mm. Um, that's something I'm still investigating. So I, I don't want to make it sound like I've cracked the code. But resiliency is something I think a lot more now about than I than I did before. And this idea of bouncing back from hardship is not something you can go around. It's something you must go through. And uh, that means you have to look inside. You have to calibrate the way that you're reflecting or thinking on things. You have to invest in yourself and the same way you're investing in whomever it is that you're taking care of. You have to give yourself even more love and more attention because that builds resilience, which allows you to be able to deal with the difficulties of living with somebody that has CTE. Resiliency is is how, that's the first word that comes to mind when I think about that question. That's, that's great. great. That was a great answer. Great wow. answer. What a way to finish off today's episode. Yeah, I nailed it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us. We hope everyone enjoyed today's episode and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye. Thank you.